This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to an episode of Boom Rookies presented by ESPN. I am Matt Bungard and with me today, Nick Campton. Hello. Hey everybody. Nick, what's going on? Just saddling up for another another one of our famed award-winning weekend recap shows. Mm. It does maybe, maybe maybe I'm yeah. getting older, but it does feel like time is going faster. Mm. I feel like it was just yesterday we were previewing this round and now it's now it's already now it's over. over. Yeah, mm. like sands in the hourglass. But um, it doesn't know. have the same sort of level of um importance or gravitas as the previous origin preview shows had, does it? Not kind of quite. just sort of meandering to the finish line. Little little little, little bit, little bit. And the build up to has has certainly been been quite muted. There was the sort of rush of 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 feelings about the about the blues team. That died down after a couple of days and now we're just sort of limping to the finish line in the end of another and then origin series. Obviously with the, the media blackouts, there's been very little yarning to do. So Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the thing. But like it can be tough. Finding fresh yarns for Origin Three can be tough. That's true, regardless. but at least in this case, you have a few. Like you got Bradman Best debuting, you got Keon debuing. Like there's yeah. a few nice stories there. Well, but... my my favorite, my favorite story, to the surprise of absolutely none of you, will be um, Mark Gottlieb, <laughs> who works for Channel Nine in Queensland. Oh yeah, this is good. Yeah, did yeah. a really great story with um, Corey Horsburgh's old man, my 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 beloved uncle Rick Horsburgh. Yep, uncle. And Rick. just just about how proud he was of his boy and. Talking through his setup at home, where he's got all Corey's jerseys framed on the wall and all that, and I think I think I think Mark's put it on his Twitter, but really, really good, just really good stuff. Um, uh, teary parents of Origin or first grade debutants is always always a winner, and when yeah. it's my when it's when it's cousin Corey, that means you're a double winner. So that that was great. That's that's honestly one of my favorite uh, footy stories of the whole year. So that that has that has been something. Yeah, I still remember the one where like. The, Jamie Bure's dad like drove like twenty four hours to get to to get to the game to see Jamie debut in Origin. So, yeah, love, great love stories like that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the game itself. I mean, it is funny looking at the ins and outs on the NRL for the Blues. It's about a thousand names long, but um, yeah. So I guess we we ran out. We sort of talked about the teams last week, but yeah, just looking at it now again to me, like I kind of feel like despite all the sort of blow ups about the selection. If you if you ignore the bench, which is a big thing to ignore, I kind of feel like this blues team has enough about it to at least be competitive in this game. Yeah, well I, I think, you know, this this Queensland team is obviously a fair bit better than the Blues, but there's a reason that it's been so long since we've had an origin whitewash and there's a reason why there's been so few in origin history. Like winning all three games is really, really hard. Even that great, great Queensland team, the one eight in a row, they only did it. They only did it the once. Imagine but, if you ask like a random fan on the street, how many times did the the, the eight in a row Maroons get a clean sweep? They'd probably guess like three or four. Yeah, and that was when they were all at the absolute peak of their powers, mm. and the Blues were at their absolute lowest point, maybe in Origin history. That's the only time that it that it that it did happen. So. You know, while while of course Queensland are deserved favourites and all that sort of thing, I, I I do think that if they're even just a little bit complacent or not quite as as up for the fight as they were in game one or game two, there's a chance that the, the Blues are able to to restore a little bit of pride. In terms of the Blues that have the most to to play for, I I know it's a bit of a it can be a bit of a cliche or a bit of a bit of a lazy way of looking at it sometimes, but I do you think the halves have both got a lot to play for? Absolutely, um, because it seems to me that that position is really going to be 
in flux next year. Um, even with Nathan Cleary, probably in he'll he'll still be the leader. Um, and he'd probably be playing in this game if he was fit. But if Moses has a big game, if Walker has a big game, that stuff can really matter mm. when we sit down for game one next year. And I'm expecting big games from the both of them. I thought oh. Moses. I thought Moses was. I know. I the know. Campton kiss of death. Cody. Well, no, I thought it was, it was over. Reese Walsh beat the Campton kiss oh, that's of true. death. That's true. Okay. It's he now the Harry Ravage. It's now the Harry still... Ravage kiss of death. So yeah. it's all right. But no, but I thought Moses was was uh maybe not good in game two, but I thought he looked dangerous. He's decent. And... He didn't he didn't put it he didn't look out of it didn't look well, out of place. It can be hard for a halfback to be yeah. effective or, or look any good in a badly beaten team, but he did manage to do that. Yeah. And I am I do like the idea of him combining with Cody Walker. I think that's a combination that could work really, really well. So I'm excited to see the two of them linked together. I really, really want James Tedesco to have a, to have a good game because he needs it. Well, mate, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if this is his last one, mm. you know, and I think the way that the blues public have sort of turned on him and, and tried to throw him out is, is, is really, really off putting. And I think one of the reasons that the blues don't get origin is that we don't commemorate our past enough. And you can see that in something like Tedesco. I'm not saying he should be immune from criticism. He has not, he's not been good enough in these first two games. He'll be the first person to come out and say that. But again, this is the best player that the blues have had since Andrew Johns retired. And after two bad games, everyone wants him, wants him out straight away, you know, yeah. and maybe it'll be different for game one next year. Like maybe it, maybe someone else will be a better choice for the job. But it would be a real shame to me if one of the best players New South Wales have ever had is sort of run out the door by his own by his own people, you know. So I'm hoping that he has a he has a good game so that if he does finish up, he finishes up on something of a high. Yeah. And if this was to be his last one through either rep retirement or non-selection, I would I would hope that a player of his stature in this arena has a has a has a good sign off at least, you know. What's what's interesting to me with him, right, is like if you take away snarky internet people. Dylan Edwards has close to a hundred percent approval rating among fans as a player. And I wonder how much his rise in the past two years has affected the way certain people perceive Tedesco purely because the drums have sort of been banging for Edwards to get a chance uh, for the blues for like two years now. So like, I mean, uh, do you think that plays a part of it? I kind of do. I do feel like just because there is a guy there who's played so well for the best team in the comp for three years now sort of not getting his chance at all. I do feel like that is kind of like at least a partial, if not substantial reason why so many people are suddenly sort of like, oh, well, Tedesco's yesterday's news. Let's let's push him aside like that first lamb that walks in front of the Simpson family and, and get the new <laughs> lamb, Dylan Edwards, in the team. I guess it's possible. I guess it's possible. It definitely helps that Edwards has, has played so well in so many high-profile high profile games over the last <laughs> two years or so. Yeah. Um, and then Tedesco's, Honestly, I was in games that people great. weren't watching as much. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I do think as well that, like this season aside, where Tedesco has not been as good as he has in the past. Like last year for the Roosters, he was unbelievable. He was part. Of, he was at times he was all that was keeping them afloat. Mm. But because we'd seen him play like that for three or four years, we we kind of we kind of became accustomed to it, and we started to underrate how good he was because we. Because his his base level was so high, you know, and yeah. even this season, if you took, I I know numbers aren't everything, but if you took his, if you did the old Pepsi challenge, if you did the blind taste test, hmm. if his numbers and some and some of the other fullbacks in the comp who have who you know to the eye test have had better seasons, Tedesco's numbers are still extremely strong. You know what I mean? It because he was so good for so long, he gets graded on a slightly different curve. And like that, that doesn't mean we should be playing the violins for him or anything like that. But I do think that does 
play a part. The thing that I we're probably spending too long on this now, but the thing I didn't understand Sorry. about the people that want Edwards in there over Tedesco is like the big criticisms of Tedesco at origin level is that he's getting in the way too much in the attack because he's running the ball too much and he's not passing enough. Mm. And it's like Dylan Edwards, uh, he he doesn't get in the way of the attack for Penrith, but he is the he's he's like he's like Tedesco before Tedesco developed that good pass on him. You know what I mean? If I wanted a yeah. great passer at fullback. I wouldn't go Dylan Edwards. I get that. Is, I also, like, I, I do think that the, some of the defensive efforts from Tedesco, especially in the first game, were not great. And Edwards has shown himself to be one of, if not the best sort of covering fullback defender in the comp. So maybe yeah. that's a part of it too. I don't I See, I, I would say that I would agree with you, but I think most of the howling masses aren't really looking at it on that deeper level. Perhaps They're not. so obsessed with, you know. Meters gained, super coach. I do agree with that. I do agree with that part of it. There, where it's like, well, if you if you want to change from Tedesco, you'd want someone like Latrell Mitchell, not Dylan Edwards, who's a very similar player to Tedesco, if not sort of a bit more sort of effort driven, but yeah. you know, very well, similar, player, similar, so. similar in, yeah, yeah. in style. You know, yeah. All right. Um, so, anyway, anyway, I just spent yeah. probably a bit too much on that. The th- interesting thing for me with the Blues is there's a bit of talk over the weekend that Spencer Lenu might force his way into the team on the bench because they've nice. been so impressed with how he goes at training. And I think that would make just about everyone feel a whole lot better about this mm. team. It's um, a weird, it's just such a weird bench right now. I know it really is. And I think I, I said on the show on, on the show last week, if Drinkwater and Lenu were both on the bench, I think yeah. everyone would get behind this team a whole lot more. I think so. You know, so but I guess from like a nuts and bolts standpoint, it's hard to know what the Blues are going to do because it is so new look, and it's hard to know what to expect from each of the forwards particularly because the way Freddie sort of worked his bench has been so so weird but what are, what are you looking for as an origin agnostic what are you hoping to see from New South Wales I might be an origin agnostic but I'm not an NRL agnostic and if Cody Walker has a bad game and, and goes into a slump that will devastate me and he deserves better than that he's been such a good player at the NRL level for four or five years now in my opinion he's been the best 5'8 in the NRL in that time period and it, it hurts me a lot that so much of his career is defined by that one play in the 2021 grand final. And I think he's just, and, and to the point where like he scored an amazing solo try in that grand final and it just never gets talked about. So like he's been such a great player for so long, such an important player for Souths. And I, a guy who I think honestly gets labeled a failure at New South Wales level by like stupid people when he, again, he only really got a couple of chances. And we, you you and I have both said that, you know, I don't think he played all that badly in, in those games. And in one of them, he was close to man of the match. So it's it's been a weird career for him. He's a very disliked player by neutrals. He's a guy that's easy to sort of shit on when the going gets tough. And I think that if the Blues do lose this game, he will be public enemy number one. So I am concerned about that. But I also think that with the way he's played this year and the way this team is set up, he's got a lot of his club level teammates there. He's got Moses, who I think he can combine really well with. And he's got Tedesco, who's such a good ball runner that I think they can sort of, if, if, if they end up on the same side of the field, they can sort of combine really well as well. So I, I, I really do think that he's going to have a great game in this game. I really do think that this is his last chance in this Origin Arena to prove himself. And if he wants to be a part of the series for a live series in, in 2024, we both know he has to have a big game in this one. And I really think he's going to. I think that with the way the team is set up at the moment, I think Bradman Best is possibly the best center possible to be on that left-hand side, like coming off shape off the back of Cody Walker because he's so so powerful and so good close to the line. I think that... As weird as the team selection might be on paper, the way it's been picked is basically tailor-made for the way Cody Walker plays. And so in that regard, I think he is absolutely the key man for New South Wales in this game. And and I think he's going to have a big game. I really, really do. I'm not just saying, and I might just be saying that because, you know, we can't 
we can't sort of put our subconscious biases to the side. But I just look at the way look at the way everything shut up. Like that left side is going to be Martin, Bradman, Bess, and they're both elite level edge players. And he's going to have Tedesco wrapping around. He's going to have Moses, who's a very good runner and a ball player next to him in the halves, who can play on both sides of the field. I think it's as set up as well for him as it could possibly be. I don't know if you agree with that. NRL podcaster guarantees Cody Walker <laughs> man of the match. Sell your house and put the loot on it, man. Mm. Time to time to upgrade. No, no, no. I think I think they're all very fair points that you make. And if the Blues end up winning this, it would not surprise me at all if Cody Walker ends up being man of the match. Um, there's probably a, a bit less to talk about with with, with Queensland because mm. their team is so much more settled and and the, most of the changes that they have are just due to injury. We talked about. Corey Horsburgh before I'm really I'm really excited that he's getting that he's getting this chance. I think it's a great reward for a, a really strong season he's had. Um are you expecting more of the same from the rest of the Queensland side though? Or are you it's, or are you thinking are you thinking that because they are going to be missing Walsh and he's been such a big part of why they were so good in games 1 and 2. Like how, how are you expecting that to change things? It it, can't, it, it they're... The way the the influence he has on the team, not just when he has the ball, but just this energy that Reese Walsh seems to bring, can't be quantified. But at the same time, I think AJ Brimson is an absolutely fantastic player. He's done it before, albeit you know in in limited quantity, but he has done this before. And you know, he he to me, he's obviously not at the level Reese Walsh is right now, but he's he's an electric player with the ball in hand as well. He's a great support player. He's aggressive. He's loud. He's not like. I don't think it's, I wouldn't say it's a like for like replacement, but I think it's a pretty good replacement. It's probably the best they could have gone. I think, especially with the way Ponga wrote himself out of the series, it would have been super weird to just have him back in the team for this game. And yeah, I, I think Brimson will, you know, absolutely give a great account of himself. And for the rest of the team, it's it's just business as usual, isn't it? Like you would be sort of confused as to why they'd be deviating from what's worked so well in the first two games. I think we're just going to see more aggression and more sort of brute force from them up front. I'm intrigued by the Blues sort of starting rotation. I think Jake is basically there to take the sting out of Queensland in the first 20 minutes, which I think if he's going to be in the team is probably the best use of him. Do I want him playing 80 minutes? Absolutely not. But if I, if he's in the team, I think that having him start and sort of just handle those opening barrages from the likes of Rube Cotter and Tino is the best thing they can do. Obviously, no pain Haas is, is a gigantic issue for New South Wales. He leads from the front. He's the best prop in the world, never mind anybody else. But defensively, I think if the Blues can match them in that first 20 minutes, I think the Queensland might have to go to a plan B. And without Walsh, I think that just falls on Munster to sort of, you know, sort of take over, which he's done in the past and he has done in this series. I mean, he's largely responsible for that hammer try that blew the game late open in game one. And yeah, I, I think there will be, they will be able to find some drill out. Right. Bradman best as great as he is with the ball in hand. He's prone to an error. He's prone to a poor decision. He's not the best defender. So yeah, I think that that, that that that's an area that they could exploit as well. So what do what do you think? I, I I think that Queensland won't really do much different to what they've done in the first two games. But I do think that the Blues, the way that they've picked this team with the players they've got, I think they've got the starting team right in the sense that this gives them the best chance to sort of take the sting out of the game early and then sort of try to grind their way on top, which they almost kind of did in game one before it all went to shit. What stands out to me about Brimson coming in for Welsh is so much of Queensland's. Success in these first two games has come from their ability to move the ball from side to side really, really quickly. Yeah, you know, you think about that uh, Tabai Fidau try in Adelaide. That came from shifting the ball from one side to the other, and again, that was something they were able to do really, really effectively in 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 game two. That they just moved the ball so well because they've got so many guys who were so comfortable in first receiver, and Welsh is a really big part of that. Brimson's a really good player. I actually think Brimson has somehow become a bit 
underrated. Like oh, there was a bit mm. of talk on the weekend that oh, Jaden Campbell's got to start for the Titans and Brimson's got to be the 14. And you're like, well, that's just insane, but all right. But Brimson's strengths are as a runner, you know, and he he's he can he can pass all right, but I wouldn't say it's something he's that good at. So maybe Queensland won't quite have the have the width to their attack that they've had in those first two games. But honestly, that could be offset by by Munster really having a big one. Yeah, you know, it's funny for for such for two great Queensland performances. Like it, I don't think we've seen like a vintage Cam Munster performance in either game. You know, he's he certainly had some some great attacking touches, and he's sort of gotten to that place where he doesn't need to dominate a game to to come up with a couple of big plays. You know, he he really just seems so so comfortable at at at, at that level, but. But we haven't seen like you know the the Cam Munster Marone Messiah type mm. game, you know. No. So and, and so that so that that tells me that this Queensland team, even with Walsh out, still has another gear to go to. So that's the thing. The the any concerns I have about Queensland are extremely extremely minor. You know, it always seems to work out for them. Mm. If, if and even if it doesn't level. in this case, so I have no, I have very little doubt that it's going half to their fans. Half their fans want them to get pumped so that Brad Fittler gets an extension. So, so like, there's really, it's really a no lose situation for them here. Well, win or lose, I think Freddie's going to hang around for next year. I think yeah. the New South Wales Rugby League just isn't a fan of any of the potential other. I options. haven't. I yeah. There's been like radio silence on that front. There's been absolutely yeah. no talk of oh such and such is being sounded out for the blues job. There's been nothing. I think you're right. I think no matter yeah, what happens, so I think, I game, think he's so. going to, I think he's going to stick around win or lose. So all the Queensland fans that are trying to play five D chess and hope they get pumped. So Freddie stays, you might not need to, you might be able to have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. What if you they can get... have, you can have a three nil win. What if they the team does the same thing? What if, it? what if Queensland win 40 nil and complete the clean sweep? Sure. Surely well, then. It's four, if it's 40 nil, that might be tough. <laughs> That's a tough sell to the good people of New South Wales. Yeah, not easy. Who may All not right. get origin, but understand that losing 40 nil and losing a series 3 nil is bad. Well, we might not get origin, but we do get losing origin. That's <laughs> No one gets it better than New South Wales. Okay, okay. Put like let's put some names out there. Yeah, yeah. What do you what do you reckon? Uh I'm gonna say New South Wales are gonna win. Yep. 24 to 10. Cody wow, Walk- big win. Cody Walker is going to be the man of the match. Brad best first try. Oh, okay. I'll go. I think Queensland is going to win, but I, I, what this series has taught me is that I actually care more about New South Wales than I thought. I thought it was a part of my rugby league fandom that had just changed. Um, not because I don't love Origin or anything like that. I, I, I adore Origin. It's three of my favorite nights of the year. I love writing about it. I love, I love everything to do with it. But I just, I just thought just by being so close to it that I'd kind of lost that, that emotional part of me. Turns out I haven't. Turns out it's still there. Turns out mm. it, it has a much bigger hold, a much you bigger all hold on me still than I thought. Um, so I really hope the Blues win. Again, I think, I think Queensland will, but I'm tipping the Blues out of blind loyalty. And I do think it says something about me that I've grown to care more about the Blues as things look their absolute fucking worst. Mm. Not interested in the into delving into what that means about me psychologically, but I love look, a lost cause. You're looking at the New South Wales Blues thinking, I can fix him. I love I love a lost cause, man. It's why it's part of why I love Canberra and it's part of why I'm loving the I'm, I'm liking the Blues <laughs> now more than I did when they were winning. So I'll go Blues 17-16 in Golden Point. Who's kicking it? Oh, Got to be Moses, doesn't it? Okay. Got to be Moses. So I'll go Mitch Moses kicks the field goal and that wins him man of the match. And then first try scorer, I'll go Josh Adokar off a really nice 
left side backline shift, a, a catch and fall effort worthy of Alex Johnston himself. Mm, I like the sound of that. Um, okay, let's move on. And by on, I mean back in time uh, <laughs> to Friday night where the dumbest, stupidest team in world sport almost managed to throw the game away once again. How do you keep doing this? I, I I don't know. I'm I'm running out of ways to talk about this, man. I'm running out of explanations. I'm running out of funny ways to say that they make me feel like I'm going to die. Mm. It's just, I'm not tired of it. You I'm scored more tries than the other team this week. That's progress. Well, yeah, it is. And, you know, biggest win of the season. <laughs> 10 points. 10 points over a Dragons team that by the end, I think like, like Billy Burns was in the halves. I think they were dragging blokes out of the front bar of Steelers to sit on the bench. Like so much stuff went wrong for Canberra, but the scoreboard went right in mm. the end, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think of all the weird Canberra teams that I've been privy to, and I've been privy to some very strange ones through my, through my 25 years of going for Canberra. This team is by far the strangest. They're by far the weirdest. You know, mm-hmm. that there were teams in the past, like the, the 2008 side or the 2010 side, or even the 2016 side a little bit, who their deal was they could score a shitload of points, but they couldn't really stop them, right? And we've seen teams like that before. You know, we've seen the teams that were great in attack, but couldn't stop a nosebleed. And then I've seen the version of Canberra where they lose all these games, where they end the season with like six losses by a score or less. And me and all my Raiders brethren are pulling our hair out all summer, thinking about what could have been. But seeing them go like this, who like they have such big and obvious flaws and such big and obvious strengths, and they just sort of throw it all together and mix it all up. And every week they have about 50 minutes of real good footy in them and then 30 minutes of footy that makes you want to die. Yeah. But they mix it all together. You know what I mean? Like, I, I we'll, we'll, we'll take we'll take this right back to the start. All right. So I didn't mind Jack White and starting at lock. Yeah. Um, because well, he better get used to playing in the forwards. So well, well, having a having a a passing presence in the middle of the field is something Canberra hasn't always put a premium on. Um, through through Ricky Stewart's tenure, but it, it was clear White and playing lock was clear to me that they were putting it a premium on that, so that was really good. And I thought he did sort of give them a bit of movement across the field and a bit more athleticism in the middle, which was they were going to need with so many middles out. Tomoko was fantastic through the whole game, but especially that first half. Tarpane was great through that first half as well. And I got to be honest with you, at twenty four to four or whatever it was yeah. at halftime, I did think they're going to do it. They're, they're going to go gonna on and, they, and they're actually going to yeah. win comfortably and, and chew into that for and the against. The footy gods punished you bit, for your hubris. As they always do. Yeah. I never seem to learn. And they punished me very specifically because Jared Croker had a tough one. Mm. He had yeah. a tough one. So, one mean, of those, so he kind of, um, like I, I, he's, 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 he's an old man at this point in 40 years. And there's a lot of miles on the belt and he's coming back from some pretty serious injuries. This was always going to happen at some point. There was always going to be a game where just defensively everything went wrong. And in hindsight, if you look at the two guys that he was mainly marking up on, Zach Lomax and Mika Ravalawa, mm. he's had trouble with Zach Lomax in the past before, just because Lomax is so long and rangy and is so just, good at just the five, Just the five tries between them. Yeah, well, he, he's so good at like carrying the ball in the right hand, getting that big left, that left hand there, putting the fender on the chest. That's a combination that Croker's always struggled to deal with. And then Mikaravalawa is like, he's mm. like an Adonis dude. He's like carved out of stone. He's, he's physically overwhelming and he has physically overwhelmed 
plenty of players who were bigger and stronger than Jared Croker. So in hindsight, this was always going to be a tougher matchup for him. You know, you throw in Matt Frawley defending next to him, you know, solid enough, but not the best defender himself. You know, it was in hindsight, it was easy to see why, why this was coming, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, like I've, I saw some Raiders fans getting hysterical saying this should be Croker's last game or whatever. It's like, man, he just, he just had a bad one. He had a tough one and it was really, really bad. And that's just how it is, bro. It's going to, it's going to be that way when you've got an old center that can't really run anymore. Who's out there, you know? So I'm kind of fine with it. I, I did think the Raiders kind of got lucky that the dragons had to move Zach Lomax from right center to fullback. If Zach Lomax plays the rest of the game at right center, they probably win because he was terrific. This was the best game he's played in. Yeah, he was great. Two or three years easily. Mm. And it was a good reminder of the, the talent that he really does have and is still in there, you know? And, there was a little bit of talk that he was getting shopped around by the by the by by the dragons. But if I was Shane Flanagan, Zach Lomax is someone that I would look at and I would think, fuck man, we have barely gotten we have barely gotten 10% of what we could get out of this guy. Like his mm. his 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 uh his ceiling is still so, so high. And he he showed that in a lot of the aspects here, like in the way that he was able to set stuff up for Avaloa, the way he was able to leap over Croker for that for that other try that he got some. He sort of showed what a good aerial threat he can be as well. And I I gotta be honest again, when they scored that third try, when Ravalawa got his third one off that Billy Burns pass, mm. I thought, I thought, fuck, this is this is gonna suck. Well they're gonna they're gonna get us here and it's gonna be a long, long drive home. But they found a way. They found a way. Like they always seem to. Even they after get themselves, even they after get themselves in trouble scored, and then they and then they get themselves over. out. Like they fuck around and they never, ever, ever find out. I know? do think that this season, like, the finding out is coming. And it's going to come probably in the first couple of weeks of the finals when you play a big team that's got all their players back and suddenly all the chickens come home to roost. Well, maybe, but I've said it before. I'll say mm. it again. This team's fucking crazy. Maybe they, they are. Happen. But it's literally you know, what this, happened last this year. Whole, this whole run started with them beating Brisbane in Brisbane mm. without Joe Tarpanay and without Jack Whiten. If you can play Melbourne in every week of the finals, you probably win the comp. Well, it's funny. So Canberra's in the top four now, right? <laughs> I, I, a truly ludicrous sentence. Mm. I'm, I'm, I have, I feel like I have a pretty realistic grasp of what this team is and what they're capable of, and I feel mm. like I'm pretty realistic on this show about about what they can and can't do and all of that. All I kind of want, I'm, I'm not sitting here thinking, "Fuck, we could win the premiership here" or anything like that. Mm. My goal for them for this season would just be to get a home final. Yeah, and whether well, that's, that's definitely through, attainable. Yeah, whether that's through finishing in, the, in the, finishing in the top four, can you imagine, and losing week one and then getting the game week two, or finishing fifth or sixth, yeah, and then getting the game at home. Like I feel like that's a really re- realistic goal. Well, for yeah, I, I don't think the Raiders are particularly good, but the reason one of the reasons I picked them to make the finals at the start of this season was I looked at their draw and they just like play dog shit teams every week it feels like like yeah. they play the dragon six times this year i'm pretty sure but um like apart from next week <laughs> they played they... them they've played them six times and beat them by a combined six points like apart from apart from next week where you play the warriors which is in in auckland which is a tough game it's home game against the knights home game against the tigers trip to melbourne which is always a win home game against the bulldogs home game against the broncos trip to cronulla who you always beat that's the rest of the season like if you lose more than three games there i'll be pretty surprised and so if you finish with Three more losses. That's what five more wins. So that's six, four more wins. Sorry, so fifteen and nine. Like that's a, that's a top, probably a top four spot. I know. That's yeah. crazy. It's like you, you, you are, no, I'm being sincere. Like you. No, I know. I, I'm. I'm you, being no, sincere. Here's my question. Did you at 
given we just ran through the draw, would you say that now the goal has to be top four? Uh, for them internally, yes. Yes. I, I think I think they're like the Warriors in that the, the ceiling of the team and the and the, the run home they've got, they should be aiming for the top four. Um, yeah. And if, if if they're not aiming for that, I would be pretty disappointed and surprised. But given I'm not part of the club or whatever, and I can look at this a bit more realistically and I can sort of see that for all the wins they've had, it's been a lot of, it's like no one, no one's sort of taking them seriously hmm. as a threat. But I guess the other side of that coin is, is, you know, maybe they get to the end and they play a really good side and they get blown out. But what if somehow they sort of iron out the kinks? I but think they've still, shown that this is, the game. With a, this is a team with it, with a pretty high ceiling and it's one that they only reach for minutes at a time, but it's, but it's up there, you know. I'm excited. I want to, I want to give another special shout yeah. out to, to Moko. I thought he was. It was. It was, it was one of the. Be- it, yeah, it was one of the best games I think a centre's had. A timely performance after I had a few miscreants tell me, "Oh, how to Tomoko make your team of the year so far?" Well, that's why because he's fucking well, great. Well, there you go. Um, where, if and when South play Canberra in the finals, what mishap will Latrell Mitchell fall uh, succumb to, which will rule him out of once again facing Canberra? <laughs> Um, I'll probably just hit him with a crowbar. That works. That's training or something yep. like, like yep. in the Simpsons, but yep. maybe his calf will still be crook and, and I'll hit him with the crowbar and knock it back into place. <laughs> he can play. He's back. <laughs> uh, yeah. So a, a very silly team. Uh, the, uh, dragons, they play the tigers soon next week or the week after. So that's almost a spoon bowl, which is exciting. Love a spoon bowl. And, uh, given the dogs one, that's, it's probably a two horse race for that wooden spoon. Now I think it's fair to say. Uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would say so. Well, the dogs um, are the worst for and against, but like, in what world are the West Tigers winning three more games this year? Yeah, that's the that that's the that's the tough one. But like, I guess if you're a Saints fan, like some of the defense in the first half was just atrocious. Awful. Like well, the Matt Brawley try. <laughs> I, well, the the the, Joe, the the one I'm thinking of is the Joe the Joe Tarpanay try. Like he's yeah. a great runner of the ball and all that, but there was bugger all bugger all on there. Like it actually mm. looked a lot like the try he scored against the Roosters in the in the finals in, in, in 2020, but yeah, that like, that's, that sort of shit's just not good enough. And Timoko just, it felt like he was making a break every time he touched the ball and he's a great runner, but that shouldn't be happening either. But I guess, I guess there's some, there's some, what you, what I'd be looking for if I was a Dragons fan for the rest of the season is stuff like this game from Lomax, like reminders of, of why these guys were so, or why some of the individuals were so highly touted, at different times. Like Talatel Mone is another one who I thought was really strong in this game that I'd have my eye on for the rest of the season. And Jaden Sullivan ended up getting injured, but I actually, I thought until then he was pretty disappointing. Um, and he's someone that I probably expected a bit more from this season. So that's something else I'd want to see over the, over the, the final stretch of the, of the season, just good performances from individuals that can then be used as a building block for next year. Yeah. And the one sure. more thing on this game that we've already spent way too much time on. Yeah. Dan Russell came off the bench Mature age debutant. We love that. 27 yep. years old. Love that. Papua New Guinea International. Gotta love that too. And then if you guys get the chance, go on the Dragons website and look for the video of him calling his parents, telling him he's going to make his NRL debut. It'll it'll make your day. It'll make your day. It's absolutely lovely. One of my favorite things is, um because Paul Turner played fullback. One of my favorite things is when they don't even bother updating the headshots and the guys in the team lists with a different team's jersey on. So Paul Turner's, nice. got a, Paul Turner's got a Titans jersey on in, in the on the team, <laughs> team list photo. I always like that. He did okay. I like the, I like the black boots. No nonsense. 
But he's not a no-nonsense player. That's weird. Yeah, I know, he's, right? He's That's... very much a not black boots guy, but he's yeah. wearing black boots. Black boots is for like your beaten potatoes prop who just gets through a bunch of work or like a, a workman-like outside back, a defensive specialist perhaps. But yeah, anyway, one for the future perhaps. Uh, right, moving on to Saturday. Uh, we thought the Eels would be up against it without three of their best players and uh, were quickly proven correct as the Luke Metcalf show came to Parramatta Stadium and the Warriors romped their way to a 46-10 to 10 win. Um they were absolutely fantastic. There was plenty of conjecture during the week, even on game day, uh, as to whether Sean Johnson would play and play. He did, but it was interesting because he kind of, he was fine, but he kind of took a backward step to, uh, back, uh, a back seat to some other guys in this team as the Warriors really did flex their muscles here. The, the Metcalf chief among them. In Fuck, the he was good. He was so good. Jesus he was Christ. outstanding. Yeah. I, so we've talked a little bit about Metcalf over the course of the season and I think he's someone who's been ready to take the next step to first grade for a good while now, but he played almost all of last season with Newtown because he'd signed for the Warriors before the season began. So I think he only got the one game in for the Sharks, but really, really quick, really creative, great support player. And after some, some glimpses of what he's capable of over the last six weeks, this was a real, this was a real breakout, breakout performance. And I think he's been so good probably over the last month or so that while I thought Tamari Martin was strong when mm. he was playing for the Warriors earlier this season, I think even if Tamari Martin's fit, I think you have to keep Metcalf. Absolutely. I just think, 100%. I just, I just think he, he complements Johnson so well. He gives the Warriors some, some real speed as well. And like for as well as, as, as they've done with, with their sort of no nonsense back five this year, I wouldn't say that they have a lot of like out and out like speed demons. And it's important to have a guy like that. It's important to have a guy who can, bust a game open from 60 yards out or whatever. So I think, and Metcalf really gives them that. So love, I love the way he works off Sean Johnson. I love the way he works off Tohu Harris. Just seems Who to was really, brilliant as well, by the oh way. Oh God, how good is he? And, but, but Metcalf just sort of gives them an extra attacking dimension that can make them so much more dangerous, you know? Yeah. I think that the main concern that we touched on in the preview show was Parramatta's forward pack, just not being able to match it with the Warriors. And I think that was apparent very early on. And I think the Warriors ended up with about seven more meters per set than the Eels, which is a pretty large, pretty large difference in the grand scheme of things. And they were just gouging them through the middle and on the edges repeatedly in this first half. I mean, that's obviously one of the best first halves any team's had this season. And it's interesting because they started quite well. And then I thought Paramount did reasonably okay to keep the damage to just the one try in that first 15 minutes before they hit them with that Bailey Simons sucker punch. And you kind of think, well, maybe Paramount are up for this and and, and they could grind their way to a sort of a famous low-scoring win. And I think we also did say that, that it would have to be a low-scoring game for Parramatta to win. But yeah, that, the second half of the first half, they just absolutely blew the doors off. And Metcalf, we just said, was fantastic. Toyo Harris just seemed to have all the time in the world every time he got the ball. He was running well. He was he was putting other guys through holes. He was playing support. He was doing everything so well. And then they really, that, I, I think they went up another gear even further when Dylan Walker came on. And they just had so many different playmaking options through the middle of the field. And they just had so much time with the ball, it felt like, because of the way that their their big men were laying that platform for them. It just felt like every time they wanted to do anything, they they could. Anything that they felt like doing, they just had their way. And you rarely see Parramatta, even with the guys they had out, you rarely see their middle sort of taken to task like this. But they were in this game. And I, I don't know if there's really anyone that can hold their head high in this performance. But at the same time, with the guys they had out, it's... um. You know, it, it, it's it's almost a throwaway game, but uh, but in saying that, you know, it's a big it's a big match for them because they're still one of those teams in that cluster fighting for that last top eight spot. And with the way the comp's going right now, a really good team might miss the top eight because there's probably nine teams right now that are sort of still in the hunt. I'd say ten if you want to include the Dolphins, but like 
Yeah, they're, they're, as good as the Eels have been in the last month, this is this is a brutal loss for them. It, it, it smashes their for and against back down substantially as well. And and suddenly they've got to sort of make sure they're pretty switched on in the last month of the season or they could be they could just miss the finals. This, to me, was an important game for the Warriors. Massive, just, after last week especially. Yeah, and like everyone can have a bad week. Any team in the world can have a bad week. What's important is how you respond to that. And you've got to kind of prove that it was a bad week and it wasn't the start of a real downturn in form. So I, I think it was important for the Warriors' own confidence um, that they did get back to something closer to their best. And I, I felt like I felt like they did. Um, you talked about how well they moved the ball across the field. The, 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 the ball movement in the lead-up to that, um, I think it's the second Montoya try, where it's literally one side of field, the field to the other, I think mm. Johnson, Walker, Harris, Metcalf, and Chance are all involved. And it was just gorgeous, gorgeous attacking, attacking footy. And that sort of that sort of is what really spurred the Warriors in front in the second half of that first half. I, I agree with you that, you know, you know, Parramatta did have a lot of guys out, and it very much nearly was a schedule loss, but a very similar Parramatta team was so good against Manly. In the, in the, in the origin affected in the, uh, the round that was affected by origin two. And while I didn't think Parramatta were going to win this game, I was disappointed by how much they got blown out. Yeah. I thought that because of the, the great progress that they'd made over the last sort of month or so that, that like, even though that the players were at, I thought that there was going to be a little bit of that DNA left. And we've talked before this year about how well, uh, teams like Brisbane or, or, or Melbourne or Penrith have done when they've been missing their origin players. And I wasn't expecting Parramatta to be quite on that level because, you know, if you're missing your, your halfback and your fullback and your, and one of your really key middles, that's a whole lot to overcome. But mm. I was expecting, I was expecting a little bit more intensity. I was expecting them to, if not have the craft to take on the Warriors then certainly have the, the spirit and and the and the and the fight to do so. I just felt like we didn't really see that. Yeah, so, they, it was the white flag was up with about ten to go in the first half. Yeah, I just I, I know they had a lot of people out, but I I expected a little bit more of them based based mm. on what we'd seen over the last month or What's, so. Um, yeah, like so now the, the the silver line for them is this weekend they don't play till six fifteen p.m. on Sunday, so they'll yeah. get those guys back. And well rested, but have you looked at their draw, dude? Like they've yeah, it's it's some so serious serious teams are coming for up. listen for listeners. They got the Titans at home this week, and that is honest to God a must win because yeah, after that, that, after that, in the next to finish off the season, they've got home games against the Roosters and the Dragons, which you know pretty winnable you'd think. But their other four games in Townsville, in Melbourne, in Brisbane, in Penrith. Yep. So yep. we're gonna we're gonna know exactly what Parramatta are capable of. We're going to know exactly how good they are by the end of that run. Yeah. And so, and, and that makes this, this, this next three games, absolutely crucial. Well, when you factor in the Cowboys, the Cowboys is especially one of those teams that's battling right there with them for that last eight yeah. spot. Like if the Cowboys knock them off in two weeks time, that's, that's, that's almost a four pointer to use. A yeah, soccer, well, that's the thing. Term, that's so. what, that's what makes the, this Titans game and this Roosters game. They are must wins. They have, yeah. they have to bank those. Cause I don't think you can rely on 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 those four matches, like getting a getting a result in any of those four would be a yep. huge huge. And, and you'd think they've probably effort. got to get results in one, if not two of them, at least to make the yeah. finals. So yeah. I, I would I would I, I haven't I haven't done the ladder predictor dance yet, but I would think that they would need results in two of those games. Well, they got they're, they're yeah they're nine wins right now, so they got they got seven games left total, and so four of them, three of them are those home. Bankers, well, not bankers, but you know, home games against Titans, Dragons, Roosters, and then there's those four brutal road trips. 
Mm. So you think, I reckon if you're nine and eight right now, you probably got to win five games to make the finals. Yeah. So assuming they win all three of those home games, which is no, which is no fate accompli, but assume they do win those three home games, they're probably going to win two of those away games. And the worst part about this game for them is that like it's tanked their for and against as well. Not it's still better than a lot of those other teams, but they're sort of right back in the same sort of stratosphere as the Warriors, as the Bunnies. Still a little bit above the Cowboys and the Storm, but they're sort of they where, where they did have basically a almost yeah. a two point advantage. Well, yeah, it, it was a big out. advantage for them. Yeah, and they've kind of lost that now, especially with the Warriors because it's a sixty point swing or whatever it is. But, oh, yeah, you hate that, but um, yeah, great win by the Warriors. I think that uh, top four probably still a big ask for them, but top eight. You know, probably only got to win four more to finish the year. They're looking pretty good. Good on them. Andrew Webster, coach of the year, probably. All right. Well said. Thank you. And South Sydney, for the third time in this origin affected period, <laughs> have scored the same number of tries as the other team and lost. I laughed when it happened to the Dragons, but I'm not laughing now, Nick. I'm not <laughs> laughing now. Um, look, I had absolutely no hope for South to win this game. I mean, the, the sheer amount of talent they had out, it was literally, I think, nine or 10 of the, like, if I was picking their best 17 tomorrow, I think it was nine of them weren't playing in this game. So like, you know, what more, you want. more than you half want. your team. Um, and for an hour, it was awful. <laughs> and then Lake Taft said, no, not today. <laughs> Easily his best game in first grade, by the way. But um, yeah, it, 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 it's weird. Like I went to the game with my family, obviously, and then a couple of mates who go for the Bulldogs. And, the, the, the guys who went for the dogs were almost feeling like they lost as we walked out because they were so bewildered as to how they almost threw that away. And if Lockie Elias keeps that ball through the hands rather than kicking it, South could have won this. I thought I thought they were going to score. When they got that six again. Uh, as soon as the, the first time, yeah. in the, I thought they were going to win at two points in this game. One was when Captain Tom Burgess crashed over. Shout out Front Row Friday, by the way. It's a 3-1 three, lead, one, It's a big deficit. The big deficit. And two was when they got that six again. I said, holy shit, we're going to do this. Just go through the middle. Just go <laughs> through the middle. Why are they shuffling side to side? Just like, just go through the middle again. Just give it to Talos Duncan. Yeah. Fucking how good's Talos? Like, I'm not going to be negative today. I'm not going to talk about the corrupt NRL led by led, led by the era at large d- doing their best to, to destroy South season. I'm not oh, going to well, talk well, about- a, a South person whinging about I'm reps. not going to talk that about- I'm not going to talk about Liam Kennedy- and him only refereeing one. So I'm not going to talk about the cowardly bulldogs who haven't turned up for a game in a month, suddenly doing slick passes and running downhill and doing trick plays and Tavita Pangai's charging out of the line like he shot out of a cannon and they're and they're hooting and hollering and actually trying because they get a sniff against the reserve. Grade. I'm not going to talk, talk about, about those things. Not, not going to talk, talk about, about any today. of it. Not today. not today because we're being positive today. We're not going to talk about any of that. We're going to talk about some of these guys that are sort of playing a spot to be a part of this team in September when they get all their troops back after this buy and when it really matters. And honest to God, I went through the, the team that I would pick for the rest of the year if it's and Tyron when everyone Munro is there? fit. Tyrone Munro is there and Talis Duncan is my 17th man on the bench. He's just been so goddamn impressive. He reminds me of a young head geared Cam Murray. He's just been a breath of fresh air in this team. To me, he just offers a point of difference as a forward that not many guys do. We talk about guys, we talk about dudes that just stuff happens. He He's a stuff happens guy. Yeah, And He's had gigantic raps on him for a long time coming through the system. I think a large part of that is because of his cool last name. But every time <laughs> I've seen him play, both in reserves and in first grade, he's looked extremely impressive. And I thought he was great in this game. Not just that try, but just his energy and his efforts throughout the second half were really, really good. And I think that South don't have a lot of speed in their back five. Tyro Munro is fast. That boy yeah. fast. And I think that he has to be... That people's about his yardage. Yeah, it's not great, but you know... 
so what? That's the Souths are a little bit different to other teams. They don't rely on their wingers for yardage all that much. That's what the centers are for. That's what that's what that's what Latrell's for sometimes when he feels like it. And but Munro <laughs> gives him that point of difference. He's fast. He's quick. He's exciting, and he, he he's kind of giving me 2014 AJ vibes in that regard. So yeah, um, some some really good positives to take out of what was a game that I thought they would lose. Obviously, I Coltrane the Bulldogs, but I, I, a game I thought they would lose. And it's kind of annoying how it shook out. Like if they just finished this game and lost at like 36-20, could have gone home and just shrugged the shoulders. But the way it finished up, it almost felt like just threw it away, which is a very stupid thing to say, given it was they were down by 14 points with three minutes left. Oh, well, I'm glad you mentioned the two South young fellas there. Cause like we whinge and bitch a lot about origin depleted rounds as we should, they suck, right? They're not fun, mm. but sometimes on, on very rare occasions, you get games like this, you know, where a lot of big names out, a lot of fellas you haven't heard of, but then sometimes guys really put their best foot forward. And, and these games can be the springboard that they need to get their first grade careers going. Like you already talked about Munro, and Duncan, who who mm-hmm. were both both fantastic and who both clearly have really big futures in first grade. But the dogs had a few guys like that as well. Blake Wilson scoring a hat trick on on the on the wing. Him and Burton linking up. It's going to be a headgear summer, baby. You know what I mean? Like they have so many it, headgeared boys. Love it when right. headgeared lads link together. That's yeah. really good stuff. There's Jarell a lot of headgears on both teams. Jarrell Skelton came off the bench. He's someone that uh, I know a lot of Canterbury people have been really, really keen to see him yeah. get a run in the first. Only got a few minutes, but looked pretty good in it. It was man. funny. His, my mate next to me loves Jarrell Skelton. He's been so pumped for his debut for so long. His first touch drops the ball. But his second touch was that line break, and it was sick. Yeah, it was really good, you know? And then um, Ethan, uh, I, I, was watching this, yeah. Yeah, I was watching this game without commentary, so I'm not 100% sure on how to pronounce Ethan's um, last name. But... He, he's 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 another mature age debutant, played a lot of reserve grade, a lot of Queensland Cup. He got his chance. And again, he had a rough start as well. Munro put the big fend in his chest, but then Kai Ward was able to get over for a try as well. And Maybe it's pronounced key, like circular key. Key Ward. Ethan, Ethan key, key Ward. Ward. Yep. Um, and then Toby Sexton getting in for Canterbury as well. We did we talk, only spoke about him a little bit on the preview show, but I think it's clear that he's a, he's going to be a, a very valuable signing for Canterbury just because having a proper halfback yeah, who just does, does all the halfback things, gets him around the park, plays a lot of first receiver. It, it Like Sexton had a, had a good game, but Matt Burton had his best game of the season. And he was able to have that game because because Sexton was there and, and Burton was was able to free be freed up and run wide and not worry mm-hmm. about, you know, piloting the team around the park and was just freed up to to, to do his stuff. And, yeah, and you, was, could see, you could see that with the that with first the pass was ridiculous. Oh, but both of them, both of them were just great. It's not nice of um nice of Bradley Fitler to do his mate a favor and not pick <laughs> not pick Matt Burton for origin. It's great. It's really yeah, really, so really was, fair the times we're living in. Oh my god. Oh it's it's how unfair I'm gonna talk about it. Not gonna talk about it. How unfair that Souths have so many good players no uh, uh, no hang on I'm glad uh, you said uh, that no, no, no. We're, we're pushing, no, no, hang on. I'm glad you said that because that is the most bullshit, chicken shit argument that people use every year when this comes up. And I've argued against this in years past when it didn't affect my team, when it affected Penrith, when it affected Brisbane, when it affects other teams. It's complete garbage that teams basically have to forfeit NRL games because of state of origin. The comp goes to shit for two months. And yeah, there were some nice moments. We got to uncover some young guys, played well, all that stuff. But Souths have had literally three games in the origin period, Dragons, Canberra, and Saturday, where they basically lost because of the lost because state of origin exists. And it's bullshit. It happened to Penrith. I, Penrith could have had an undefeated season 
couple of years ago, if not for State of Origin. And the argument that the people often return, oh, well, that's their fault for having good players. is so asinine to me. It's like, yeah, they have good players because they're good at recruiting and they're good at develop- developing and they're good at coaching. They shouldn't be punished for that. We shouldn't have teams literally be almost no chance of winning NRL games. You know, the thing that we're supposed to, the thing that you and I are paid to cover, the thing, the thing that makes State of Origin exist, the thing that our lives revolve around having no chance to win actual NRL games because of state of origin. And it happens every year and it's not going to get fixed. But the reality is that South could and should have three more wins than they do right now. And they'd be on top of the ladder. And instead they're eighth. And that's not fair. And yeah, you can sit and go, well, it's your, it's jokes on you for having good players, but like, it's not fair, dude. You can't argue that it's fair. And it's a ridiculous system that ends that we, that we've ended up with. And I don't know why that we've gone back in time to what we had a few years ago. We had the split round at least a couple of years ago. We had the round where nobody played and there was a semblance of fairness to it. It still wasn't perfect, but it was better, but we've gone backwards again to now having teams that have a lot of good players having to basically give up on two first grade games, which is what happened this year. So good like, thing, good yeah. thing. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not, but we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. But if we were to talk about it, that's the point I would make. That <laughs> the argument that, oh, it's your fault for having good players is just stupid. And it also doesn't factor in, oh, what about if your good players aren't from New South Wales or Queensland? What if your good players are English or from New Zealand? Like some other team I know that's that got a 40-point win on the same day as this as a result of all their good players being from not New South Wales and Queensland. I don't know. If we were to talk about it, that's kind of the point I would make. But we're not going to talk about it. But we're not going to talk, talk about it. But it's important to note that if we were to talk about it and someone were to say, oh, that's what you get for having good players, I would push back and say that's a very stupid argument. Well, I guess we'll never know because we're not going to so talk about it. That's right. Um, I thought Avarillo was great at fullback yep. for Canterbury. Nice that's- of them to drop Hayes Perham. That was good. Yeah, but it's, if I was a Dogs fan, I'd be frustrated it kind of took that long and I'd be doubly frustrated that they weren't able to keep Avarillo in some form. Yeah, the the fans around us were very upset about that on on yeah, Saturday I, night. I, I don't know. I don't know what his best full his best position is going to end up being, but but he's a footy I, player. He's just a footballer. <laughs> but but like our like our dear friend Talos Duncan, stuff just happens around stuff Jake happens. Avarillo, you know, mm. and it's just something you can't really can't really put a price on. So unlucky for the dogs, but go Birdo. Yeah, it was interesting. I thought I thought Toby Sexton played really well as well. And um, kind of fitting that he's the one that falls on that grubber from Ilias at the end of the game to sort of snuff out that last hope. It, it's kind of funny, dude. Like, this is the games that you want your halfback to really step up in. And I know that they basically lost this game because of shit defense. They ended up scoring 32 points. But, like, again, the halves for South, I just think, were not very good. It just felt like most of the time... Most of the sets where they didn't get gifted good field position via an error or penalty, it just felt like they were going through the motions. I didn't think the long kicking game was good at all. I thought it was pretty abjectly terrible. I think most kicks found Avarillo on the full. The, the midfield bombs were atrocious. I just don't know what the plan was. It didn't feel like they had much of a plan until they realized, hey, we've got a bunch of fast guys and the bulldogs are pretty slow on the edges. Maybe we should just do that. And then that worked. But... um. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. It, it was just the game really took a turn. We haven't talked about this yet. The game really took a turn with that Sinbin, which was weird because I am, you know, I, I'm obviously, I, I try not to be biased, but obviously I am a little bit. We all are, but I instantly was like, oh, yeah, that's a Sinbin. Like straight away, I said that's a Sinbin. So I was a bit surprised to come back and what sort of read comments online on social media and stuff that people were blowing up about it. And then I was especially surprised to hear Jason Demetrius' comments on it afterwards. But I guess. His justification was that the injury came from, I think he said that the injury itself came from contact from Havili, and it wasn't, uh, was it Havili, I think? and it was um, Totola. Totola, sorry. And that it wasn't the sort of 
motion from Tane Milner did anything wrong in the tackle. But at the same time, to me, after watching a bunch of replays on that giant screen, it did feel like did seem like he just jumped and his shoulder hit Sutton in the head. I mean, I thought it should have been a send off. I was I, honestly, I, I was worried I initially that it was going to be. Was and I... Look, it's 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 even if the injury comes from something else, mm. it's shoulder to the face, and there wasn't much of an attempt to use the arms. Like I, I would have thought that would be a textbook shoulder charge send off. Yeah, um, I would have I no was, issues yeah. with it. So I don't know. I don't know what was doing there. Yeah, the, the whole the process was terrible, though. I think we can all agree on that, that they put him on report, didn't put him in the sin bin, and then five minutes later, as Ryan Sutton's still getting treatment, they call him back and then they sin bin him. Have you ever seen anything like that before? I haven't. No, no, but, like, the refs have been pretty bad. But they're wrong, 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 wrong process, right outcome, I think yeah. you'd say. Yeah. That's so, it. Um, but... Did you decide? Did you decide after that, were you like, there has been an injustice committed against the Rabbitohs, and did you look at the laser pointer in your hand and think, Oh, I man, have to. Yeah. Ma- I have to. I have to make this one right. So, if you are going to shot, like obviously, I'm never condoning shooting a laser pointer in someone's face. But if you are going to do it, maybe don't do it from like the uninhabited seats at the at the other end of ANZ. So, like where that laser pointer would have come from, there's like no one sitting there. The seats, there's the bays of seats that are completely empty. So, like, and then apparently ten minutes later, they found the sixteen year old kid getting a photo with Reggie Rabbit, and then punted the per- him. The perfect crime. It's so brazen that like, you do that. It's it's you know the player has reacted because he stopped in his in it before he's taken the conversion, and then instead of like leaving or making yourself scarce, you go to the fence to get a photo with the mascot. Maybe you that was his res- alibi. You have to Maybe respect like, how brazen I that is. I couldn't have been shining that laser. I was hanging out with my dear friend Reggie. Your dear friend Reggie. Yeah, terrible. Like that guy should be banned. Like what a stupid thing to do. Yeah, moron shit. And yeah, I I I was on I was Dimitri went really hard at that Simbin, but I thought it was I thought it was fair. And the dogs, to their credit, took full advantage of the situation. I think they scored what sixteen points with with the extra man. So that's what you got to do, and they yeah. did it. So I think I think Jason Jason Dimitri is a really really good coach and um a very impressive fella. I think he's done a great job with South over the last eighteen months, and I think the way that he's stood up for his team in some trying circumstances sometimes um, mm. is really impressive. I'll never forget how he how passionately and well he spoke after the Latrell Mitchell racism stuff earlier this year. Mm. But I do have one knock on him and that's how he talks about refs. It feels like after every game Souths lose and even after games they win, he 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 blows up about the refs and he says we're targeted and we're this and we're that. And it's just let it's speak. just not it's just not true, mate. It's, not. it's just not true. Come on, man. It's not. I, I and I I'm as I'm as red and green as they come and I thought the call was fair. So what do I know? We're just a couple of couple of dum dums, but that's right. Yeah. All right. Last game of the round. A great game. We were worried about, we're not worried. So we were sort of, we had no idea how this game would go. We knew it would be fun though. And I think we ended up, we, I think we both, I, I said the Dolphins would win a close one. I think you did as well. And um, turned out that way. A, a thrilling yeah. finish. And it is funny. Like uh, the, the game obviously ends with that penalty decision. He's so far offside. Yeah. He's, he's extremely offside. And But it's like, so like, and it, he was so far offside that, like, the majority of people online were still like, "Yeah, good call by Grant Atkins." Like, what do you want? What do you want, like? What can he do in that situation? He can't. He can't ignore that. And you can't. You ignore can't that. disappear. But you can't. And um, but there were still people going, "Oh, do we want refs deciding games?" It's like, what do you mean? Like, was he was he four meters offside or not? Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? And it's not. This isn't the first time. <laughs> it it happened a month ago at Campbelltown Stadium. Like, sometimes guys are just like. And look, let's not let's call a spade a spade. Sometimes, if they're marginally offside or there's a minor indiscretion in a close game at the very end, refs will let it go. We all know that. No one admits it. 
but we all know that that is true. But yeah. when it's so blatant, as it was in this case, he was a good three or four meters early. Like, can't ignore that. And it was a good call by Grant Atkins and the right call. Oh, yeah, 100%. And this plays into one of my least favorite footy tropes where a team gets done in golden point due to a refereeing decision, be it correct or incorrect. And this one was correct. And then people say, oh, it's such a tough way to lose. They didn't deserve to lose like that, you know. And then it starts up the whole, oh, you know, if you're losing golden point, you should get this, you should get this. And it's like, no, mate, like it's a, it's a, it's a shitty way to lose, but they did it to themselves. They lost because Aaron Clark was 400 meters offside, you know. Yep. I think he played the ball if, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a shitty way to lose, but guess what? Sometimes your team loses in shitty ways. And if you're the architect of your own downfall in that one, then I got nothing I got nothing for you, man, you know? So it but to me that that moment kind of summed up the difference between the two teams, you know? So the Titans as we've seen many occasions this year, has just had, they have some dazzling attacking footy in them, and we saw that in, in some of the tries they scored in this match, like the Kieran the Kieran Foran try, which came off a spread deep deep in their own half. Khan Pereira chips over the fullback, old man Foran backs up and scores, awesome. Or the Philip Sami try where they play some really nice shape, and it's another really good long ball from Foran. Or or the way that Jaden Campbell played at fullback, I thought this was close to his best game in first grade. Like it's clear how much sort of a wonderful attacking footy is in them, but they let themselves down with fundamentals. Mm. You know, then they're, they're not really built for the set to set grind that, 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 that you really kind of need to, to be successful in, in this competition. You know, their own worst enemy is always themselves. They always blow up their own spots, you know, and the dolphins are almost with, especially in their depleted state are almost completely the other way. They probably don't have a lot of that attacking that a lot of that attacking uh, class, they probably don't have a lot of those big plays in them, but they can be very well drilled, very fundamentally sound. And they are very good at that set to set grind. And they are good at just sort of hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. And if you don't beat, if you don't beat them, they can end up coming back and getting you. And then if you beat yourself, the way the Titans did in occasions on this one, the Dolphins will just take that off you. They, they can't take things off you, but they can take what you give them. And the Titans just gave them, just gave them a little bit too much, you know, the Jared Wallace try, really, really soft stuff, you know? Or yeah. the the the, the Jermaine Asako try where our man Phil Sammy, God bless mm. him, just drops a just drops an easy bomb, you know? Yeah, the only reason that the Dolphins were able to hang around as long as they did is because the Titans weren't killing them off, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. And I you mentioned Brian Kelly there. I feel like wasn't wasn't it Cam Pereira that dropped it, sorry? Uh, yeah, it was, it was my bad. Yeah. Sorry. That's all right. Apologies to fill the power. Center. No, but I was going to mention him. Like, it seems like every time he does one of these iconic celebrations, they lose the game. <laughs> and that happened again. Here. He does the McGregor, Vince McMahon walk, but um, they end up losing. And yeah, you're right, dude, because this game was in their hands. In my opinion, I, I thought they, they had the better running over in the second half. And I thought that they should have been able to see the game out. And once Brian Kelly scores, I feel like they should have been able to go on with it, but yeah, the, the Dolphins have they haven't shown a lot of it in the last month, but they they showed a bit here of that grit and determination that that had become synonymous with them in the first couple of months of the season, and they are getting a few guys back right now. So I, I do think making the finals for them is still going to be a bit of a tough ask. I think that just with again, I just don't think their team is that good, and I think that they've still got they'd have to win I think five out of seven to finish the season. But they are showing that fight, and they are showing that ticker that Wayne Bennett sides have always had, and. Yeah, when it comes down to it, when both of these teams, as you said, were missing their star players, they were just the team that, that that didn't blink. They were the team that sort of were more calm and composed. And calm and composed are not words you'd ever use to associate with the Gold Coast Titans. So perhaps, so perhaps that's 
that's that's not exactly a mean feat. But at the same time, I thought they did really well to set up to get ahead. Um, and then they thought they did really well. They, they I thought they handled the golden point period really well. And yeah, it's it's unfortunate how it ended for the Titans, but yeah, you know, if he's not offside, Izako probably slots that second field goal calmly anyway. So what do you want? Well, I, I maybe I think in the lead up to this game, we probably didn't give it the attention it deserved in terms of how important it was for both teams' mm. seasons. You know, the the I, I you can't really go off competition points because because buyers have, have have really fucked all. They really up. have. But if you just go by wins, Parramatta would be in eighth spot, um, and North Queensland are in ninth spot. They're both on nine wins. Yeah. The Titans are back on seven wins. Mm. You know. And and the and the dolphin getting this game has put the dolphins on eight. So the dolphins, once we all have our buyers and everything shakes out and all that sort of stuff, the the dolphins are a win out of the eight, and the titans are two wins back. Yeah, and that's just a lot for them to claw back. The titans are on the same amount of wins as as Manly and the Roosters. You mm. know, two teams that if the line's not through them, then then you're showing a lot more faith in them than than, than I do. You know, yeah. and the titans dropping these two games back to back to the Raiders and to the Dolphins, that that mate, that might be the that might be their last shot at, at at making the finals. And you know, and making the finals was probably something that not a lot of Titans fans thought was possible at the start of the year. But with the talent on this roster, it's definitely something that they should have been. Yeah, well, they're they're about, you know? it's the game we already talked about. But their last chance saloon is this week against the Eels. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that both both teams really need that one. Yeah, which is good. It'll be a nice little Sunday night cap for next week. But um, uh. Anything else we want to talk about from this game before we move on? I do love I do love a try in the Kieran Foran one where no one's near him. I yeah, just love a try where there's just absolutely no one within QE because of that collision that happened after Kampera kicked the ball. But yeah, fantastic. Well, I tell I tell you, when he went to scoop it up, I was like, mate, just give it one more roll and then dive on it. Like you're, mm. you're upping the degree of difficulty yeah. for no reason. But yeah, great hands. He showed showed us how it's done. And um, I've been more critical of Tanner Boyd than you have, but. Played decent, and that I thought that field goal was just very, very well taken. Very composed effort by him. So good job, mm. Tanner. Keep it up. <laughs> nice one, Tanner. Simi Renrandra trying the chip and chase. Oh no, it's Simi Redradra. Redradra's away. Simi Redradra. Oh, this will be interesting. Oh yes, it will. Yes, Simi Renrandra. Oh, he's absolutely buried it. I don't know if this is news, but we forgot to talk about it. The Raiders try celebration. Outstanding. I, 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 I am going on the record here. I think it's up there with iconic. the grenade and the the piggy Riddell clapping yep. himself. I think I think that's the big three now. I, I love those two and this cricket one, which was just next level. Right down to um Whitehead, um be playing the role of Johnny Bairstow, both Yorkshiremen. Fantastic. Great, great, great attention to detail. And then the aftermath as well, how quickly it's Oh my God. They're just the most deranged people world. on earth. Well, English. Zach, Zach Wolford, um, giving it to Piers Morgan. I didn't know I needed that in my life, Yeah, but we got it. We got I, Zach Wolford, an 80 minute man now for the Raiders and an 80 minute man for his country in the battle against the Poms. You've got to love it. Like I, I, I would, I, 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 like most of the time I feel like I'd just be better off, like never hearing from Piers Morgan again, but I also enjoy it when, Someone absolutely feeds him. Yep. So, and that and feed him, they did. Um, Fantastic. Funny one here. The Cronulla Sharks considering revoking Scott Morrison's status as their number one ticket holder <laughs> after the Robo Debt Royal Commission stuff, which I mean, he should be in jail, but I think that, you know, 
that's at least do the do the do the sharks have more integrity than the government? Perhaps <laughs> I don't know. I'm just asking questions of our noble, full of integrity team of the podcast who are doing what who are doing what the the the, the three pillars of our society are not doing and holding Scott Morrison to account. So good on them. Um, Would you like to replace Scott Morrison as the sharks not- number one ticket holder? <laughs> Yes, that'd be that'd be funny. That would be very funny. Um, and uh, you got anything else? You said you had something before, and it might come back to you, but it hasn't clearly. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. Um, but I so there's a there's a story out this morning that mm. the, the NRL is going to investigate the Bulldogs offer to Tino <laughs> Fasulamala yeah. Ali because apparently they've offered the Bulldogs offered him shares in a pub, and decided to go and tell everyone about it. Which, look. I didn't come from the Melbourne Storm School of cheating the salary cap, but I would imagine the first thing that they teach you at cheat the salary cap school is mm. don't tell anyone. The Bulldogs famously are not good at cheating the salary cap either. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. there is that. Now, if you want, like, giving someone shares in it, like surely that's against the. How can uh, that be? That that's got to be against the salary. Well, cap, I mean, right? it's. it's I mean, look, teams do things like obviously we we yeah, we've all read this yeah. like we all read those Kate McClymont stories about the Cowboys getting houses from Lawrence Lansini up in Townsville but yeah. like like there's, it mate, was there's a bit all, more subtle a bit yeah, more there's, subtle there's, there's always going to be backhanders right and if you don't think that then you're just not being realistic that's why when I went to Rache's the other week Jacob Carraz was the manager <laughs> <laughs> the Rache's the Rache's king himself like there's always yeah. going to be there's always going to be backhanders there's always hmm. going to be stuff. There's probably a lot of stuff like this going on, but just like, yeah. don't tell everyone about it. Like, just no, 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 no. It's a it, this is uh this is Trent Fasua Mala Awi's yeah. pub. Damien <laughs> Cook's been paid one million dollars by Young Henry for image rights <laughs> for the Beach Sprinter IPA. It's completely apropos of his of his South Sydney salary. Don't worry oh, about man. it. Yeah, just like if you're gonna do something, if you're gonna do something wrong, do it right. I hate IPAs, but if there was a Damien Cook Beach Sprinter IPA, I would drink it exclusively. Surely, surely it'd be like a summer ale or something. Yeah, of course it would. Yeah. yeah. They've already, I think they, because they did actually make a hazy IPA early this year, South did, and I didn't buy oh, it. Yeah. I've still got the, I still, like I bought a bunch of it and we drank some of it, but I still have an unopened case of when they did the South Sydney natural lager. I'm just kind of holding on to it. So you got to save that for the, for the grand, for the next time they win a grand final. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And then um, you can do it on your Mad Monday. Absolutely. RLPA stuff still going on. I watched, I watched a bit of the Clint Newton thing on Triple M. I thought he came across really well. But again, like that stuff just feels like it's going to keep dragging on, doesn't it? It, it is. It is. I, I, I do want to say my big criticism on the Friday show about the RLPA strike was that I didn't think they'd made their their goals or their intentions all that clear. But they, their messaging over the last few days has kind of put paid to that. They put up a very helpful, um, frequently asked questions post on their website. I read that and I, I came away with a much better understanding of what they want. I still don't know if this is going to help them get there, but at least I have a better understanding of, of what they're after and all of that. So yeah, until, until, until that gets resolved and that might not be for a good while, it's just mm. going to be, everyone's going to keep throwing mud at each other. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, we are getting out of here. Uh, patrons, question time will be after Origin this week, as it has been for the rest of the season. So you get that on Thursday. Uh, regular listeners, we will have an Origin wrap-up either late Wednesday night or Thursday morning. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, before we get out of here, thank you to the people in the top two tiers of our Patreon subscription service. Uh, if you want to support us, patreon.com forward slash because you get a third show every single week as well as some extra bonus podcasts, including the Penrith Greatest Games. Got a lot of good feedback on that one, not just from not just from fans of Penrith, who are, of course, the winners in that, in that game we did last week. If, if you missed last week's show, we did a deep dive into uh, Penrith's 17-16 uh, win over the Roosters in the 2014 finals. Um, I was pretty happy with it. I thought it was pretty good. So 
I'm, I'm not biased. So you, how'd you, what did no, you think? No, no. Again, completely objective. I thought it was great. Yep. All right. Uh, so if you want to do that, yeah, it's always for a little $2 a month, you know, or don't. It's fine. We, we'll still love you for listening. And a thank you to Chris Avnell, Dave, Rocky and Rafi, Stu, Where's Wayno, Alex Sergicomi, Boys Credit Bootlegger, Butsy, Chewbacca Snuffleupagus, Dan Carlin, David Doc Hogg, an anonymous backer, Ed Burton, Frankie fetched full-bodied ferrets from the farmer's market, Horsburgh Scoresbury, Jace Felix Farnworth, Jason, Joel Wrigley, John, Josh Brandon, Kicks House Out of the Comp, Lachlan Hancock, Lifelong Dolphins fan, Luke Charles Smidmore, Matty Jenkins, Maroon Gossard, Matthew Duggan, Michael Murray, Mr. Beefy, Morgan Watkins, my name is Matt Bungard, and I love Taylor Swift. My ding ding dong is hard and I am sad. Never trendy, Pat McManus, Pete Bulger, Reese Brown, Rowan Edwards, Roxanne Clark, see you in Vegas, Shanta Tai TV, the black vegetable, the hard times have come for Dewey Crow, Thor, Tom Hart. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA and start was and West Life's podcast. Thank you so much for your support to everyone in the lower tiers and everyone who just listens. Thank you as well. I do enjoy that the that that patron's name changes to a new justified reference every week. And Dewey Crow might genuinely be the dumbest character in the history of TV. He's amazing. He's the I best. Loved, I, lo- I love I love Dewey Crow. I love that he taught he talks about himself in the third person a lot. He says, mm. you know, the hard times have come for Dewey Crow or whatever. One point a character says to him, You got to stop talking in the third person. It makes you sound like an imbecile. And it's just the two of them in the room. And Dewey Crow looks around and he goes, where's the third person? Oh, my God. He's the Great best. stuff. Uh, anyway, what's Justified, I think, is the main takeaway you've had from the show in the last month. I, so. I'm telling you, I think it's the official show of the show. It has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. All right. Let's get out of here. We'll be back, as I said, whenever in the week, whenever you want to listen. You don't have to listen. You can just do whatever you want. I'm not your dad. All right. Well, you don't have to listen, but if you want to unsubscribe, resubscribe, and download the podcast from as many different devices as possible. If you would like to pay a Bangladeshi click farm to download each episode 50,000 times for us, we'd, we'd like that. There's goal, there's clicks and then there are hills. You don't have to though, but you can if you want. All right. Say goodbye, Campo. Goodbye, Bertrand. That's goodbye from me.